Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. This is Mike Abadir, and I am alongside Pop DiBiase, my man Jamil, filling in for Gino, keeping Gino's seat warm. Pop, what's good, my man? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great. It's another Thursday. It's a big sports day. We got college football. We got NFL. We got the uh, MLB tonight. We got the NBA preseason tonight as well, too. So there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things you can get yourself into tonight. Um, If you're a sports fan, sports better, any of that good stuff. Absolutely. Now, today is October 14th. Thursday, October 14th, 2021. And you know what this is going to mark, Pop? It's going to mark the biggest game in the history of the, what is it, 135-year history of the Dodgers-Giants series? Something along those lines. It's, It's well over 100. The biggest game in the history of that rivalry. I mean, this is really, really big, very, very enormous. Keeping in mind, of course... It's only because of the new format for the playoffs, new relatively speaking, that we could even see the Dodgers go up head-to-head against the Giants. Um, In yesteryear, you couldn't have seen that, like in the days of New York and Brooklyn and stuff like that. But here we are, deadlocked. Each team has won 109 games, 107 in the regular season for the Giants, 106 for the Dodgers. Dodgers had an extra game. Extra playoff game. They won that one. They're each 2-2 two to two in this series. This is the decider. This is the elimination game. This is probably a preview of who's going to represent the National League in the World Series. I mean, I'm not trying to shit on the Braves, but let's face it. These are the best two teams, definitely in the National League, if not all of baseball pop. Well, I got to agree with you. The Braves are in here as a constellation because we, me and you both know that the Brewers were a better, were a better opponent for either the Dodgers or the Giants. The Braves are are good. And the Braves took advantage of home and a very quiet Brewers team that, when it came to the bats, but I'm going to stick to the topic at hand. This is a huge game for the rivalry between the Dodgers and the Giants. And it's just another chapter in a longstanding best-selling novel between these two. And you know what? If you're a Dodgers fan, you're a Giants fan, regardless of what side you're on, you're over here. You're 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 so you you're ready to roll. You want that? You want this game to start at midnight. That's how how much you know is going into this game tonight. And I think that this one right here will be a game that 
might beat the NFL tonight when it comes to viewership. A lot of people feel like everybody will uh, lock in on the NFL and everything like that. But if you can watch the but you can watch the NFL game on your phone, all that good stuff. The MLB game, you got to really cut on TBS and watch the game. You know what I mean, or listen to it on radio. And I think that we have enough people in the state of California to go ahead and overtake the ratings tonight in that game. Now, I know people back east don't care about it, but this is huge for the whole coast, and this is huge for the state as well, too, in a, uh, in a way, because you got north and northern and southern California residents, like, really, like, I'm not talking to you until the series is over. <laughs> like, I don't want to hear nothing from you, all right? I respect you. I love you. But we're not going to talk. We're not talking, okay? And, uh, you know, I see you at the uh, – we'll, we'll, I'll get you caught after the series is over. You know what I mean? I don't even hear anything from you. So it's it's been, it's been extreme. It's been good, man, and um, I'm excited. That's all I can say. One thing, one thing to note, Giants, two shutouts. Dodgers, two blowouts. So this is just exact. This is just Nirvana right here, brother. And if anybody ever thought this series was going to be shorter than the distance, um, they were badly mistaken. This series was always going to go to the final game because that's just how good both these teams are. It, it has to be that way, Mike. Yeah, no doubt, man. Look, yes, it features just the West Coast, just California. Absolutely. However, I do think that there are some baseball fans in the South, in Atlanta, that want to see who they're going to be going up against. I think there are baseball fans in Texas, Houston, Boston, coast to coast, really, that are intrigued as to who are they going to possibly line up against if they get that far. But overall, this is California there is a East Coast bias. There's no doubt about that. But we've got the best two teams in baseball here in our home state. You and I are in Los Angeles. I'm from Northern California. So these are two teams that we grew up with. We understand the rivalry. We understand the passion. This is probably the most intense rivalry in California of any sport I can't think of I mean the Rams and Niners I mean eh, you know Warriors and Lakers perhaps but I don't think anything touches the Dodgers and the Giants I think it's the pinnacle of pro sports rivalries in the state of California I'm very excited about it now there has been some news today regarding this game which has been, I don't want to say controversial, but the point of disagreement amongst a lot of baseball fans, maybe even between you and I, Pop, MLB Network, I was watching Harold Reynolds explaining why he does not like this decision. What I'm talking about, of course, is who is going to be the Game 5 starter for the Dodgers. Initially, the reports were, and everybody assumed, that it was going to be Urias, the Dodgers' 20-game winner, the most winningest pitcher on the planet in Major League Baseball, 20-game winner, like I said, who has been dealing. But the Dodgers have thrown us a curveball, Pop. A very unexpected decision, very late decision. 
In fact, some people, even amongst the Giants brass, didn't even find out about it until they saw it on Twitter. That they're going with a reliever, Knable, to start this game, man. What are your thoughts about that before I, I interject mine? And by the way, uh, professional Curtis, here's here's kind of some inside information uh, for those who are like really big time baseball geeks. And I know that there are several of you out there listening. You can't surprise another team with a starter at the last second. You can't just like be like, oh, we're going to start Walker Bueller and then trot out Max Scherzer. Like there has to be a professional etiquette. It might even be a written rule that within so many hours of the game that you have to notify the other side. It is confirmed Dave Roberts did send a text to Gabe Kapler notifying him that Knable was going to start. The media asked Kapler about this, and they said, what did Dave Roberts tell you? He said that Knable is going to start, and he left it at that. He didn't elaborate at all. He didn't say a peep outside of stating that fact. He got a text. Dave Roberts says Knable is going to start. So that's where we're at. The news just came out earlier today. Unexpected, strategic, analytics-driven. I don't think that it was from Dave Roberts. I think the call was made upstairs from the analytics geeks, the numbers geeks, the statisticians, not the baseball people necessarily, not the baseball purists. What do you say, Pop? Um, I got to agree. I think you, a lot of the Dodgers decisions is made by the computer. And that you said, that's been the, uh, you know, key, that's been the big gripe with a lot of Dodger fans when it comes to, um, Dave Roberts as well too, that he might be just a little bit too committed to the system. But the thing is though, the system has yielded him as the most winningest manager over the last five years in the whole league. So, you know, it's it's not that bad of a uh, of a uh, of a asset to have, you know what I mean? But all in all, though, we we want playoff baseball to be pure baseball, you know what I mean? We don't want the analytics to rear their ugly head into this situation. We want guys who've been dealing with the game for the last 30, 40 years of their lives to actually go ahead and make baseball decisions as a human. You know what I mean? And that's where people get there are kind of up in arms about it, because the thing is, they just don't. This isn't a natural thing. And a lot of people don't think this is a really good idea because your is probably pitched the best out of all the pitchers the Dodgers have had in this series. And starting him off coming out in the second inning is is throwing up is is making a. Uh, fan base that's already kind of on panic mode get nearer and nearer to the edge because you know you just you're tinkering with things at the wrong time as they feel but i think that there is a good strategy in that with three right-handers coming up early in the game and knibble being one of your better relievers as well too you have him start off try to get those three quick outs so you don't have to sit you know so you don't have to sit around Thinking about you know having too much, uh, give, having your pitcher give away too much, and once Yuri's comes in there and he's going to be mightily pissed, 
because he had, you know, because he didn't get to start. But he has been groomed for the situation because he used to be a relief pitcher before this. And so he's used to coming into games and going long innings. And they're probably doing this because, hey, they're saying to themselves, we want to make sure that if if we got to have our guy here in the ninth inning, we'll have him here in the ninth inning. And so we'll cut his game. We'll cut his we'll cut uh, early in his short form to have him in the later innings. And I think that might be into the thinking as well, too. Just, you know, trying to give uh, the people that that understand the move a little bit of uh, grace and stuff. But I know the people who don't like the move. Oh, they're ready to just wring my neck. But I think that all in all, though. If you look at the strategy I'm thinking is you want your pitcher to be there for you later, not just, you know, pretty much give you six, seven innings. And then we do, we hand the ball off to the bullpen. Now we want to be handing the ball off to the bullpen in about the eighth, ninth inning in this game. If not, just letting your East go the whole, whole, whole stretch in this situation. Cause I know that San Francisco has it in their head that they quite possibly will let Webb go the whole distance. If he pitches as well as he did on uh, the, in the opening game. So this game is, is, is a true chess match and boy, oh boy, it's just like six fifteen can't get here any faster. Mike, that's all I got to say. <laughs> Very well said there, pop. Now let me add a little bit to the analytics dimension here. So, one of the basis for this decision has to be the fact that the Giants have been stacking right-handed hitters at the top of the lineup against lefties. So what the Dodgers are thinking is that Knable can steal three outs and shorten the game, and they're hoping that it does not mess with Julio Urias's, uh rhythm, so to speak. Now, on the flip side... Urias' last seven games in the postseason, Pop, 1.29 ERA. And that's not in a tiny sample size. That's in 28 innings. He's only given up four earned runs. He's given up three home runs, five walks, and here's the big number, 34 strikeouts. 34 strikeouts in 28 innings in his last seven postseason games. So this guy is prepared He's able. He handles the pressure. The saying goes, as the saying goes, he's got ice in his veins. There's no situation that's too big for him. Interesting decision to go with Corey Knable tonight as the opener in a clincher. Now, you and I were talking a little bit earlier. I can't remember, outside of the Rays, who always do some funky stuff, I can't remember an an elimination an elimination game which featured an opener utilizing a reliever in a decider. It's a very ballsy decision, Pop. It could backfire, and it could prove to be genius. Let's just get right to prediction mode. What what do you think is going to be the result of this decision, number one? Number two, who who do you think is going to be tonight's hero? There's always somebody that emerges with a big two-run double, cup, brings in a couple of runners. It's the key hit of the game. Good chance that one hit makes the difference. One key hit, one hit with runners on base ultimately makes the difference in this game. What are your... 
predictions? What do you see in your crystal ball happening tonight? Only player I can think of that I know can make a clutch situation for the Dodgers tonight, and I know I can, I can, I can, I can really, really say, okay, this is the guy that I would would put right there in the in the spotlight and can trust. None other than Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts is the one that put the game over the top the other night. Mookie Betts is the reason why the Dodgers were able to muscle out that World Series. Yes, Uris was awesome pitching, but they needed that big fifth inning because the Dodgers were absolutely getting shut down until that point when Mookie hit that home run. So you have Mookie Betts, and Mookie Betts should be able to have a moment in the game where it's going to be crunch time. It's going to be something that's going to be huge moving forward for the Dodgers tonight. Now, for the Giants tonight, none other than the the old man, the oldest giant in the room, the catcher, future Hall of Famer, Buster Posey. Buster Posey is an absolute nightmare for the Dodgers. He's been a nightmare since he was a rookie coming into this league, and it's crazy because I remember when Buster Posey came into this league because he was playing with guys like Andre Ethier and Matt Kemp and James Loney, the the Dodgers, you know, great farm farm situation that they were able to uh, have for a good decade. And Buster Posey outlasted all those guys and got three rings out the deal. Those guys um, either are all retired now. Yeah, I think uh, what where Pop was going with that is that these guys are basically Posey has outlived those guys. He has been able to perform at a high level. I think taking that year off last year, that COVID year, when he opted out, I think was really, really big in rejuvenating Buster Posey. I think this was a career changer for the guy who's logged in a lot of innings behind the plate. They've given him some relief by putting him at first base. But I agree with Pop. I think where he was going with that is he's outlasted the original rivalry group for this generation of players and has continued on with this new wave of Dodgers. Each set was very, very good, very exciting. I kind of, for me, I almost like analogize the the Kemp and Ethier and all those guys, those years with the Clippers when they had Andre uh, Jordan and Blake Griffin and Chris Paul. It was, both were very talented teams here in LA that just couldn't get the job done for whatever reason. Maybe it was a little bit unlucky. Maybe it was uh, choking. I don't know. Maybe it's chemistry. But either way, Buster Posey has outlasted that. He's seeking his fourth ring. I do agree with you. I do think he's a future Hall of Famer. And he's probably, on paper, the most likely guy to make an impact for the Giants in terms of a key base hit. I think the other would be probably Brandon Crawford. The guy's been a stud all year. He probably should get MVP votes. Don't know if he will because of the lack of name recognition around the country. But anybody who's a fan of the National League West or a team in the NL West knows that he's been a Dodger killer, an NL West killer. He's just been all around a really, really good player defensively and with the bat. Pop, let's take a quick commercial timeout. We'll come back. We'll continue with the predictions. And, of course, we're going to get to the National Football League right after this. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Giants and Dodgers Talk here on the Mike Abadir Show with special guest Pop DiBiase, friend of the show, Always a great contributor in the world of sports, boxing, handicapping, horse racing, you name it. Check out Pop DiBiase on Twitter and you will not regret it because he delivers the goods and can help you make a couple of bucks in your sports wagering endeavors. Pop, let's keep the conversation going. Who ultimately is going to win tonight between the Dodgers and the Giants? And you could speak from your heart or you could speak from baseball knowledge. But let us know which one you're speaking from so we understand the vantage point. I say the fans win tonight. Honestly, I'm going to tell you like this. This is not homering or anything of that nature, okay? This is uh, just for my baseball knowledge. When you're a team that's coming fresh off of a World Series and they put you in a pressurized situation and you've been the top team in this league the national league for the last five years even though you haven't won all the world series you've been to what three of them in the last five years you know and pretty much from 2017 until now the road to a world series championship goes through the dodgers because look at it you have the astros one on the dodgers Red Sox won on the Dodgers. Nationals beat the Dodgers to propel themselves to win the uh, World Series against the Astros. And then the Dodgers come back around in 2020 in a shortened season and win the championship. So that's pretty much four seasons in a row where the Dodgers were the barometer that you had to chase. And then you have to remember the Dodgers were in the NLCS in 2016 and pretty much lifted the, and the, Cub, lifted the Cubs to their 
um, World Series championship as well, too. So that's five years in a row where the Dodgers have been that team that you had to beat to get a World Series championship. And I feel like tonight, if the Dodgers don't win this game, then they wind up, you know, pretty much the Giants should win the championship, right? But if the Dodgers do win this game tonight, then I think they're going back to back. And I think the team that I think that they they got all the demons out of their system. And I think they've prepared well for this situation. And they've been in this spot before. 3-1 down to Atlanta. But they were in a neutral situation. This time around, you got to go to San Francisco. The Lions then, your big rival, and try to win the biggest game in the history of the rivalry. And when it comes down to it, when ever the Dodgers have had to win the most important game with the Giants, most times the Dodgers have won that game. And I feel like the Dodgers just got a better hitting situation because the Giants live off of home runs. They haven't hit many home runs in this series. They had game one where they hit three, and then they hit one in game three. So pretty much haven't had the, the homer option here. And the Dodgers are the number one pitching team in the league as well, too. So I feel like there's so many things that have advantaged Dodgers here. And the Giants' heart has been great. It was hard for the Dodgers to catch him. But tonight, they catch the old, the, the good old rival. And the Dodgers wind up winning this game by two or more runs. And there it is, Mike. The thing I most agree with everything that you just said is that the fans win tonight. I 100% agree with that. The fans will win tonight. You're going to get a very exciting matchup regardless. Now, I'm going to take the Giants simply because just like how they barely eked it out to win the division, I think being at home, I'm going to give them a little bit of the advantage. Webb has been absolutely dealing against the Dodgers. And even more so at home, his ERA against them in San Francisco is in the ones. He's absolutely dominated them. I think he delivers a big performance tonight. And the Giants eke one out. Five to three in what's going to be a very close contest throughout and I think that the big hit is going to come from somebody kind of maybe a little bit more obscure somebody maybe a little bit more unexpected than the typical that you would think how about Lamont Wade Jr. let's see Lamont let's see Lamont Wade Jr. deliver the big blow what was that pop He's he's already he's already been a been a uh, nuisance. He's not that obscure in the series, Mike. No, but because you and I watch these games, I'm not sure that he's got a national you know presence or or oh, following or recognition. Mean. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I understand because I was like, who who the heck is this guy? Like, what old uh, singer from the '60s kid is this? Because <laughs> he sounds like a like he's in the Temptations or something. Lamont Wade Junior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it know, is. I'll tell you who it's Lamont not. Junior and the Giants. I'll tell you who it's not. This is not uh, Fred Sanford's son, Lamont. 
That is not this Lamont. It's a different Lamont. It could be. He could be that Lamont tonight. <laughs> he absolutely could be. Now, here's a couple other interesting tidbits about tonight. Unfortunately, Clayton Kershaw isn't pitching, but it might be the oh, last well. time. You know, it might be the last time we see him in a Dodgers uniform. How do you feel about that as a Dodgers fan? I think if it's not going to be a Dodgers uniform, it's going to be a, a, a polo shirt and a and a pair of uh, dad really? jeans. And really, be over at his kid's game. He's going to retire a Dodger. Ain't nowhere else to go for Clayton but L.A., baby. Come on, man. What about he's made Texas? all of his money he, here? Where he's, he's from? Well, you got to understand his situation. He's been dealing with a bad back for years. It's now the elbow as well, too. Maybe it might be time to wrap it up. He gave us uh, twelve solid. He gave us twelve consistent seasons of being the top pitcher in all of baseball, and then you know not having run support to mess off about three championships. He should have won as well too. It's okay for Clayton Kershaw to retire if he wants to retire. Hey, I hear you, man. Look, the three best pitchers in modern history. Let's just define modern history by saying within my lifetime are. Fernando, Oral, and Kershaw. Not in any order, but those are the, the best pitchers in the storied modern history of the Dodgers, the Tommy Lasorda era, era up through now. Kershaw has been one of the best regular season pitchers of all time. There is a lot of discussion about his postseason legacy. I'm glad he was able to get that ring last year, kind of get that monkey off his back. But people will still kind of criticize and unless he does it one more time, I think. They're still going to look back at how many series the Dodgers should have won that they did not win, that they should have got more rings. But you could say the same thing about the Atlanta Braves of, uh, of uh, you know, a few years back. How do you not win multiple rings when you've got John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, and Greg Maddox? three Hall of Famers and a great lineup with Ron Gant and David Justice and Chipper Jones and Jeff Blauser and on and on and on. It That's just baseball-ish happens, you know? And either way, I salute Clayton Kershaw. I think he's had a great career. I do agree with you. I think because he knows a thing or two about legacy, he, he sees how... Derek Jeter is so much bigger because he came up through the Yankees organization and he retired a Yankee. And I think that's very important when you get into the Hall of Fame that you're not having to pick from five different hats as to which one you're going to be inducted with. I think that he understands that and I think he embraces that. I agree with you. I think he's going to live and die a Dodger. I hope they give him another contract that he'll accept because I think he still has more baseball in him. You know, yeah, he's been injured, but he's delivered. I mean, has he had a bad season? I'm not sure if he ever has. And this year he was going really, really well until his injury. So we'll we'll have to see about that. Now, on the other side, Pop, a free agent looming, Chris Bryant. Now, Chris Bryant has delivered in this postseason. He's hitting 462 for the Giants. He could be a rental. Or he could be a valuable piece for the Giants because he's still young for years to come. What do you think Chris Bryant does? 
I heard somebody saying that they think he's going to go back to the Chicago Cubs. But it seems like they're going with kind of like a different type of youth movement rebuild. But what are your thoughts about Chris Bryant before we uh, move on to the NFL here? Holy war. Red Sox and Yankees. Those are going to be really? two suitors for a guy like Chris Bryant. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Boston. It's either it's either Boston red or Yankee blue. One or the other. Or he stays in San Francisco. Or he might say, you know what? I'm going to go and play for a team that that's going to not trade me and maybe pay me two hundred and fifty million dollars if they have it. And the Arizona Diamondbacks, you know, I'm just teams just throwing out money, you know what I mean? But how, the how about the Mariners? They the, probably have in the ballpark too, you know what I mean? The Padres could be lurking for Chris Bryant because he's very flexible in his positions as well too, and he could be a third star added to uh, what they already have. But they would have to over overpay for that situation. So whoever has the most money. And is willing to take on a guy like Chris Bryant, who has injury issues and has been has had struggles and things of that nature. Then go ahead and do it. But he hasn't put up the Bryce Harper, Manny Machado numbers to warrant a monster contract. But we all thought that would be coming eventually. You thought that would come with Rizzo as well too. But the the Cubs really beat those guys down just by being bad by being by the way that they went about things. And just by the way that they were treated the last few years as well, too. You make a good point. Now, Chris Bryant, he is 29 years old. One of the advantages he's got is that he's got some versatility. You know, he could play multiple positions, infield, outfield, and he does a really good job in uh, pretty much wherever you put him. Now, I do think that there's another player, and I don't want to digress too much, but it could be the Seattle Mariners. Because Seattle Mariners haven't really opened up their pocketbook to free agency for a while. And they've put together a really, really good, underrated, sneaky good nucleus up there in the Pacific Northwest. He could be somebody that has championship pedigree, somebody that is a bona fide hitter, that they could bring somebody like that in if they could lure him up there. I can't really imagine him in that Mariners uniform. But it could be an interesting fit because he could be one of the senior leaders over there, even though he still is not 30 years old. Very interesting stuff about some of these legendary players for different organizations and where they could end up. Baseball always has a very, very interesting offseason, winter meetings, all that good stuff. It's kind of cool that we're going to have some good storylines to follow after here. Now, looking ahead a little bit, Anybody that listened to last week's show knows my prediction. And this is before any of these series has started. I took Boston against the Giants in the World Series. Now, just for all the listeners' information, because that matchup has never happened in modern Major League Baseball history. So it would be an absolute novelty to historic franchises meeting up. Now, I use the word carefully, modern history. A lot of times people, when they refer to that, they mean post-World War II. However, they did meet, Pop, in 1912. The Red Sox of Jake Stahl won the World Series over the New York Giants led by John McGraw. 
And I believe there was even a tie in the World Series. So they had to go at eighth game. Four games to three. When you look at the uh, standings for that World Series, it's four, three, and one. Didn't know there was ties in baseball. But obviously in 1912, they were making up things as they went along. (laughs) That's kind of what I'm kind of thinking here, Pop. So they have matched up. But I think it would be a really cool matchup coast to coast. Obviously, if the Dodgers get there, they're going to be in a cool situation because they're going to have a rematch regardless of who they get. They'll have a rematch against the Red Sox, a rematch against the Astros. These are two teams that the Dodgers felt that they were better than, but did not win. That would be a very interesting opportunity. Uh, The Giants and Red Sox, like I said, would be legendary. The Giants against the Astros would be a good World Series on paper and for hardcore fans, but I don't think it has great nationwide intrigue. And I think the one that MLB least wants would be the Braves and the Astros. I think that would be kind of a ratings nightmare outside of their local markets. So just send the table here for what's to come over the next couple of weeks here. As a baseball fan, I think any of them would be great. But I also understand that this is a business. I think you have to have either the Giants or the Dodgers and the Red Sox in the World Series to be able to create that crazy buzz from coast to coast pop. What do you think about that in a few seconds here before we go to the next commercial break? Um, I would say, you know, pretty much, um, it's going to be pretty good, but I think that we kind of have an idea what the, what the world series is going to be. I think that we're going to be more clued in on the AL side because that's going to wind up being a really, really good series. And I see that one going the distance as well too. Um, but I truly do think the best world series is going to be, the Giants or the Dodgers versus whomever the AL is going to have representing pretty much point blank, either one of those teams. But we know for the ratings, boom, it would be Dodgers, Red Sox. Come on. We both know this. Both are, hate the Yankees just as passionately, and both have been ruined by the Yankees. So it's a good way to laugh in the Yankees' face when you got the when you got the Dodgers and the Red Sox. But a good way to laugh at the Dodgers and the Yankees at the same time is having the Giants and Red Sox. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Make very valid right. points there. Okay, Pop, let's take a quick commercial timeout. We'll come back and talk some National Football League. Stay with us, everyone. We will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies radio show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. 
Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Final segment here on the Mike Abadir Show. We've been talking baseball so far because of all the excitement here on the West Coast between the Dodgers and the Giants. Want to shift gears for a little bit because I know we got a lot of football fans that listen, a lot of uh, players that like to drop a few bucks on these games, as well as fantasy football players. Before we get into all that, though, kind of interesting. One of my favorite players from a few years back was Sean Taylor, the hard-hitting safety from the, at that time, Washington Redskins. He was fierce, ferocious, very smart player, had great instincts as a safety and delivered. Unfortunately, his career was cut short by a shooting, and uh, I believe it was an intruder coming into his home, and uh, one of those type of situations, very unfortunate, they were coming in to steal something, and the casualty ended up being himself. Uh, So rest in peace, Sean Taylor, of course. Uh, He's being inducted into the uh, ring of honor for the Washington football team this weekend, and I found it interesting in that last year, last week, they had some type of, uh, you know, uh, let's kill cancer type of, uh, you know, promotion. And they gave out like these, you know, terrible towels or whatever they're called uh, that say stamp out cancer or something like that. And they had 40,000 of those, you know, so covered a vast majority of the fans. It kind of leaked out that they only have 10,000 towels for Sean Taylor. I thought that was very interesting, a very cheap maneuver for one of their all-time greats, 10,000 towels. You want the fans fighting and bickering and standing in line and crowding in line to be one of the first to get 10,000? Kind of a weird move, if you ask me. Don't want to spend too much time on it, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Anyways, Gruden. Gruden is the hot topic of the week, of course. The Raiders, always, always, always a team that has intrigue, mystique, Drama, very passionate fan base. It seems like everything that either the Raiders or the Cowboys do is newsworthy in some way, shape, or form. Obviously, historic ownership. You know, Jerry Jones, the Davis family, been around for a very, very long time. Just a, a real quick take on the Gruden situation. Should he have been fired? And where do the Raiders go from here? What say you, Pop? Well, we all know John Gruden had to resign. 
Because that's what happened. He resigned. He wasn't fired. We all know Mark Davis would have probably said, let's figure out a way to spin it. Just continue coaching the team because you're my buddy. But it can't work like that. And as I told you on my show earlier, John Gruden had no business ever coaching the Raiders again after what Al Davis did to him back in the early 2000s when he traded him to Tampa Bay. And then he goes off and beats the Raiders in the Super Bowl uh, in a cheating way, you know, with the uh, whole playbook situation and everything like that. So, you know, at the end of the day, Gruden was just over here knowing that he had a, a sucker that was in love with him and he took advantage of it. And then they come back. 10 years later with, you know, emails and things like that with known bigots and racists and things of that nature. And they get and they sacrifice Gruden. So then they don't have to have the owners be accountable for their mass emails of the same, same talk, same situation, same everything. You know what I mean? So. So that's how I'm feeling with that. Yeah, I hear you, man. Um, yes, he did resign. You are correct about that. But I think his hand was forced. I think Davis, like you said, I think he would have kept him if it was up to him. I think the NFL came in and said, look, he's got to go. There's no way around it. Get get rid of the guy. And Gruden, uh, Davis, out of respect for Gruden, told him what was coming up and gave him the chance to resign. That would be my guess. I don't have any insight into that. I have not spoken to anybody on the inside with the Raiders this week. Uh, I've I felt that this was kind of a, a week of turmoil. I didn't want to be like the nagging media type, so I stayed out of the mix. But I do think that Gruden has gone from the most marketable NFL head coach and media commentator, uh, the biggest thing since John Madden, to completely tarnishing his name. He's done for good. I can't imagine that he will ever be able to resurface. I don't think he'll be able to even put out a statement. I don't think there's a way where you could explain yourself. Even if you go to the good old, my thinking has evolved kind of uh, take. I don't think that's going to work. I don't think that type of apology is going to work. I think he's done. So now the Raiders in a tough position in the middle of the year. Very rarely do you see this by a team that has more wins than losses, Pop. This team is 3-2. and two. Yeah, they've lost two straight. They haven't performed that well, especially at home against the Bears. Losing 20-9 wasn't the result that I think that Raider fans expected nor wanted, of course. Carr was efficient, but didn't get them, didn't throw any touchdown passes, they had a tough time moving the ball against the Bears, and this isn't the 85 Bears defense. They've got a decent defense, and uh, the Bears kind of had their way with them, pushed them around a little bit. Bisaccia has been named the interim coach. He was the assistant head coach. We had him on the show last year, of course, so we introduced everybody to him, and uh, he's a really good guy. He seems very well-liked. He's a good football man. Uh, quick feelings on him. Is he going to be the guy, do you think, that we see heading the silver and black come 2022? Or is this just kind of one of those things where they're going to make their way through the season and then go back to the drawing board? Hey, they made the playoffs. He probably has a job. But 
the way things work out with the Raiders and everything like that, I think that uh, Mark Davis is going to try to get a splash higher again, you know, and try to look real good doing that. But I don't think he's going to go and dig up a old retired coach that's already a Hall of Famer or something of that nature. I think he's going to catch himself a hot shot coordinator or maybe one of these hot college coaches that uh, come up and, you know, he might offer them the right amount of money for them to take over this Raider team. But all in all, though, I think that the Raiders season can be still be saved if Derek Carr can, goes back to the level of play he was at the first three games of the season. Now, he's kind of regressed the last few weeks and everything like that, but I will say that probably because the Raiders have played against better defenses than they did the first three weeks of the season, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, better and uh, you know better quarterback play as well, too. Not, no knock to Lamar Jackson, who had a hell of a game, uh, opening game. But we know Roethlisberger is kind of done, and we know that Brissett is a backup at best. He's, he's not a bad quarterback, but he's a backup at best. And, you know, we both know that the Raiders had some kind of miracle wins in two out of three of those games. So them losing these last two games, I'm not utterly shocked about it. But my thing is, if they can recoup in Denver this Sunday, anything's possible for the Raiders moving forward this season. All, I, all I'm happy for the Raiders is that the Raiders have had their identity returned to them and they don't have the lone superstar being your head coach. Totally agree with you on just about all those points. I think the big problem that Mark Davis is going to face in terms of trying to get a splashy name, you know, a name head coach, so to speak, is the contract that he gave Gruden. And I don't mean that he's not going to have enough money to pay the next guy. What I'm saying is he set a very strange precedent. He offered Gruden, what was it, reportedly a 10-year, $100 million deal. So now, let's say you get a splashy name, a big name. I can't even think of who's on the sidelines right now. So let's just say Bill Cower. I have no idea if he wants to come out of retirement or not. But after you've just given out $100 million to John Gruden, how are you going to entice him? Do you have to top that number? 10 years for $120 million? What if you go three or four years? I don't think you're going to be able to give somebody, you know, a three-year $12 million deal. Because that pales so dramatically in comparison. I don't think that these guys would shortchange themselves like that. If for anything else, out of ego alone. So I think that Mark Davis has put himself in a very, very strange predicament. And I also agree with you that he shouldn't have been hired in the first place. Not because he was away from the game for a while. Because I would have been fine with it if Gruden went to wherever, the Miami Dolphins or the 49ers or whoever sought after him. But the Raiders, because of their history, is very strange, very awkward, very clumsy. Yeah, I'd, yeah I, I don't think that he should have gone back there. I think they're in good hands with this special teams coach uh, a background in Basaccia. I like the guy personally. I think he's well-respected. He's well-liked. I think that he'll be able to lead a group of men. Let's see how it goes, but I agree with you. This Raiders team is not a great team. It's a decent team. They're in a very tough division, even with a down, slightly down Kansas City Chiefs team. You got the Chargers, who are playing very well. The Broncos have improved from last season. So there are four teams in there that are going to be slugging it out. We'll see. Maybe emotion and passion 
vaults the Raiders. Maybe they come out of adversity. Maybe they this is the spark plug that reignites their season. Maybe Carr feels that he doesn't have somebody lingering over his shoulder in Gruden that he could feel that he could truly be himself and play his game without Gruden being there to critique and criticize every single move, every INT, etc. So that's kind of my quick take on that situation, Pop. Let's look at this week's games because you got some good matchups. As always, the NFL delivers with some good matchups. Obviously, tonight, there's a game just in a few minutes here, so we're not going to spend too much time on it. Tom Brady, the Tom Brady's against the Eagles. Uh, Jalen Hurts versus Tom Brady at the quarterback position, even though they'll never face each other on the field. Uh, that should be a, uh, uh, you know, uh, a Bucks victory, most likely. Uh, so let's get to Sunday and talk about some of these games, Pop. One of the ones that's got a lot of intrigue is the battle of the former Native American team against the current Native American team. I'm talking about the Kansas City Chiefs against the Washington former Redskins. The Chiefs really, really need to get their butts in gear. They've hit a season-long slump so far, and now they're going into Washington to play a team that has good defensive players, good defensive pieces, but they haven't played good defense. What are your quick thoughts about that game? Um, I'm going to be honest with you. Kansas City is in big trouble because their defense is absolutely terrible. Okay? They're giving up 35 points a game, right? They gave 38 last Sunday. Haniki seems to be playing some pretty good quarterback. So I think that He's going to be able to take advantage of this bad defense. I'm not saying the Redskins win, but they do cover the plus seven in this game. It comes down to a final kick for the winner. Good stuff there, man. I wish we had more time to go over a lot of these games because there's some very intriguing matchups like the Ravens hosting the Chargers and the Browns hosting the Cardinals. All very good matchups. And, of course, we've got the AFC West showdown between the Raiders and the Broncos both sitting at three and two. One of those teams could end up four and two which is going to be better than what anybody kind of have had prognosticated coming into the season. The Rams going back east and facing the Giants. Now, in terms of point spreads, I need to make up for what was a very bad week. Uh, 0-3-1 so far through week five. My plays are 8-6-1. I'll leave you with a couple on the road here because we got to get out. Uh, I will take the Patriots getting three and a half at home against the Cowboys. I will take the Washington football team getting seven against the Chiefs, who I agree with you are in big trouble. And I'll give you a couple of leans. I'll include them in my record, win or lose. I'll take the Bears at home, getting four and a half from the Packers. I think the Packers are in a little bit of trouble. And then the Giants taking on the Rams, who are coming coast to coast. The Giants are going to be getting close to 10 points against the Rams. Pop, that's all the time we got, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to all the listeners out there. Enjoy tonight's game. We will see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone.
Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.